At the beginning of this episode, there's a small echo problem. We are continuing to try to improve our sound quality as the show progresses. Uh, thank you for your patience and enjoy the rest of this show. Hello, welcome to the Corner Case Cast, episode two. We don't have subtitles. Oh. We don't have subtitles. I actually was calling this ep- episode a. I had a name for it, I had a cute nickname for it. Don't my name them. If you get attached to them, you won't be ready to get rid of them once they need to go out. Well, if we have to put it out the pasture, I, I'll just have to <laughs> old yeller this right in the face. Do not. Do, oh, you're gonna make me cry. Uh, anyway, <laughs> once again, this is the uh, corner case cast. I'm your co-host. Joe Oso and, and me is uh, interrupting Cal says Russell Lee. How are you today, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're you know here to bring back some old goodies, old and new goodies. There's actually one card on the list I had never seen before. The list for today's just oddities, <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Oh, it's one of your. I don't know, it's one of my cards. Oh, it's one of, these, one of your cards you've never seen before. We're going to talk about it. That, that would be amazing. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past me, though. <laughs> so, Russell, as we covered very uh, extensively in our last episode, just to remind everybody, you work at the country's oldest comic book shop, Golden Age Collectibles, in Pike Lakes Market here in Seattle, Washington. I do. You were the magic man there. I am their magic man. I sell the magic cards and answer all the magical questions. Yes. And I am a former uh, Wizards of the Coast customer service representative, and I know a lot about math. And together, we've been playing magic cards combined for about 50 years. Just one (laughs) one really old man. Yeah. Very. (laughs) Put us together, and we are one wizard beard away from retirement. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, what have you been working on this last bit of time? Oh, and by the way, I know last time I said next week, but we don't actually do weekly episodes, do we, Russell? Oh, we're we're busy people. We have lives and families. So and you, you you are well, yes, you're a busy person. And so, uh, to accommodate our lives and stuff, we're going to do uh, bi-weekly episodes. So every other week, we'll try to keep bringing new content to you, uh, patient listeners. That way, we can have time to discover new things, rediscover old old love cards, and bring them to you in a neat format. That way, we also don't blow through the thousands of magic cards in short order before we get to doing other neat things. Yeah, if we eventually have to start talking about really good magic cards, you know that we have crossed the line and that we should just move on. It would literally be like Commander's Brew going, well, no cards are $5 or less anymore. Guess we got to start <laughs> talking about $10 cards, and then their show falls apart. Yeah. Where's the integrity? Exactly. So, what have you been working on? What have you, what have you been working on since we last spoke? Lots and lots of jank. Uh <laughs> That sounds pretty par for the course. It is par for the course. I put together that Kefnet deck I was talking about. The, uh, the blue uh, Trials deck, right? Yes, the, the the Trial of Knowledge that focuses on removing power from 
creatures, so they can't attack you. I'm not still not sure what the win condition is in that deck, but I'll figure it out one day. Miss, miss I don't think I've actually ever seen you win a game. You usually just declare yourself the winner through frustration. Yes, that's happened numerous <laughs> times. Uh, but I've, I've got a couple. I'll bring a deck on Sunday, Saturday. Yes, that, don't show up at my house on Sunday. It would be awkward. That would be awkward. But no, I, I have, will, I have okay. very not important things to do all day on Sunday. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I will bring a deck that I know has won games. Uh, oh, that's interesting. And uh, at least one tried and true deck, and the rest will be experimental. And the other deck I've been working on outside of Kefnet has been Selenia Dark Angel Curses, which yes. I've conceptualized, but I haven't started pulling all the cards together yet. Yes, and that is a uh, Orzov deck, which is my color combination of choice. Yeah. <laughs> it seems pretty sweet. I have anticipation that I might one day get to kill one player with it and then die horribly. <laughs> well, you you would have fulfilled your win condition for that game, though. Oh, of course. Which is really what's important. Right. When, when you build janky decks, you have to accept the fact that you have... One goal. If you can get that goal, then you're good. If you win the game, you go buy a lottery ticket because the stars have aligned in your favor. Yeah, but it's like the fifth element where all the planets are in a row, you have your multi-pass, yep. and somehow you transfer all of your curses from one player to another player to another player, and, you know, life's just good. Yes. <laughs> so pretty much when everybody else is asleep and not doing anything... Tinder after the game at all. Then, then's my time to shine. I hope you have a lot of pillow port in there. <laughs> uh, a few, a few things, yes. Good, was, good. I built that Bantu deck, and I got to test drive it a couple times. Oh, how is it? How is Lady Crocodile? She is pretty nasty. I wasn't really expecting to be all too impressed with the sacrifice ability, but... What I've learned is that you generate so many, the, the way that I built the deck, I generate so many tokens, you know, thralls or spirits or, or have you, zombies and such, that you're going to be using that thing every turn and being able to burn through your deck really, really fast. And that's that's nice and all, but what it really comes down to is the taxing that it does, where it's burning everybody else for one and you and healing you for one. You gain a life off of it. And that I, I probably did about 30 points of damage one game in a four-player game with that ability. Ow, that's yeah. impressive. It, it's nasty. And, uh, of course, I'm running Lifeline in that deck, which makes using Bantu's ability every single turn, uh, since she's indestructible, she's not going anywhere. So there's always going to be something on the board. And then I'm just running all of the black uh, board sweepers that say, that the, the ones that don't reduce toughness, because I want Bantu to stay on the board. Right. So you know, I've got a Damnation in there, and Plague Winds, and that sort of thing. So it worked out pretty good. The first game I lost to a a zombie deck that got out Mind Over Matter and a Laboratory Maniac. Yikes! That is. <laughs> I mean, tap a zombie to win. Game yeah, sounds pretty good. Yeah, it, it, there's not much a lot that I can do with that. So that one went pretty poorly. But then the second game, I got the blood combo off. The kill all your opponents at the same time. Which one is it? Uh, you know uh, what I'm talking sanguine about. Sanguine Bond and Exquisite Bond. Blood, which Blood. is oh, so bad. Why, Why, Joe? Why would you do that? Because I'm playing Turbo Black. It, it works really well. 
<laughs> you need to have Al Wayne condition. That that's fair. I mean, I guess it it's a flavor when Bantu would do that. Yeah, yeah, it's totally the the only other condition I really have in the deck is a sword markup. So, <laughs> but <laughs> but. I, the only tutor I have in it right now is Beseech the Queen, because I do Demonic Tutor or Vampiric Tutor, but I'm definitely looking for one. I don't so, know if I want to help you out with that, then. Oh, well, <laughs> you know. Come on. Friends, friends <laughs> don't let dark, friends but... two-card combo. <laughs> um, so the other thing that I'm working on is I'm still picking up stuff for my Timna, the Soul Weaver, and Ravos. Timna the Weaver and Ravos the Soul Tender deck which is uh, kind of a black-white good stuff with a little bit of a cleric sub-theme. So that's what it's evolving into. I really just need to pick up the dual and stuff and bite the bullet. But other than that, I got most of the stuff. So that's what I've been working on. Got to play a couple games. It was a lot of fun. I got... Oh, I played one more game with my... I built a Heartless Hidatsugu deck. And... <laughs> for its Wrath Out. And got a basilisk color. So that went well. Yes. Uh, that, that is how that works. <laughs> yeah. Three card combos are okay. They're okay. Yeah, Three it's cards, the two card it's ones. The two card ones are just, that's just... <sighs> no bueno. And, no bueno. Yeah, I, I've learned that putting 50 mountains in a deck and blood moon means that your deck is spared. So I'm just putting that out there for everybody. If you just run 50 mountains in your EDH deck and one of your other 49 cards is blood moon, you're not a cheater and I approve. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get down to the list for this week. This one, I I had a theme kind of going, and then the last one I just had to include, even though it's not part of the theme. So anyways, my first card on the list, we had like a visualization of the episode. This is where the graphic would pop up and show you what the card looks like and does, but instead I'm going to do it for you. The first card is Chiron Negotiations. This is a, an enchantment from Marcani and Mask. It's an uncommon. It costs two generic mana and two a red mana. And it reads, tap it, untaps creature you control. And Chiron Negotiations deals one damage to target player. So this is an interesting card because the first thing that pops into your mind is, oh, I can use Infect with this. So I can tap my creatures and they'll deal damage and they'll poison counters. And I mean, red sucks for that, but Anyways, we'll find a way to work. But unfortunately, Chiron Negotiations is the way that, or is the thing that deals the damage, not the creature itself. Therefore, any sort of stuff that says if this creature deals damage to a player, that player loses the game, or what have you, it's not going to work with this. There are ways around it, but that involves, like, opalescence (laughs) and (laughs) having the Chiron Negotiations tap itself. But other than that, you kind of have to be a little bit tricksy with this card. And this is why I really like it. It's only played according to edhrec.com, which is the site that we pull all of our stats from. Um, it's only played in 172 decks that are listed online right now, which seems kind of odd because it's uncommon and it has goblins on it. So you'd think that even just for the picture, somebody would want all, but all I of think the 172 the, decks, all all of them, all 172 yeah. <laughs> decks are goblin token decks. That's what they all so, are. So the first thing, the first thing that came to mind with this is 
anytime that you have creatures that have vigilance that are going to be left over blocking, you can wait until the player before you use instep and then tap them all to deal a bunch of damage, right? Because they're not going to need to block anything between now and uh, the beginning of your turn because nobody's going to be attacking. That's a one easy way to make use of this. Although in red, you're not going to find a lot of vigilance. So unless you're dipping pretty deep into white and playing some vigilance Boros theme, I don't think that's really the best way to use this card. The way that I look at it is more of an enabler. It really gives you the opportunity to tap your creatures, and which is a resource that a few cards in the game use. You can fulfill the criteria for certain cards just by dealing some damage to an opponent. The first one that came to mind is an enchantment from Worldwake. It's an uncommon, and it's called Quest for Renewal. Are you familiar with this one? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So it costs one mana of any color and one green. And it's enchantment that says, whenever a creature you control becomes tapped, you may put a quest counter on Quest for Renewal. As long as there are four or more quest counters on Quest for Renewal, untap all creatures you control during each player's untap step. Do you see how this could become a little bit out of hand (laughs) pretty quickly? I mean, having more Seedborne Muse effects could never go wrong. No, especially one that costs one green and one colorless and has a stipulation that is so easily met by our focus card, Chiron Negotiations. It's just a silly combo. Oh, and it doesn't die to wrath. No, it doesn't <laughs> die to wrath. It is not a Seedborn Muse, and it is not a prophet of Krupix. Let her soul rest in peace on the ban list. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so... The great thing about this combo is that, or about counter negotiations, is it allows you to tap your own creatures for an effect. And when you have creatures that are tapped, there are other cards that actually can benefit you as well. The one that came to mind for me immediately is from the new set, Amon Cat, and it's uh, Throne of the God Pharaoh. You, you know this one? Oh my god, I yeah, I didn't even think about that one. That's right? a really good call. It's just double up on your damage, why not? It's not even double up on your damage. It's at least four or five times the damage because it's each opponent loses life equal to the number of tapped creatures you control. If it's that one person you really hate. Yeah. (laughs) You double the damage to one person and everybody else just shares. Yeah. So that's really cute. But then you take into consideration some of the really neat commanders that you can run with this. And or run this in, and the so I've been working on this a little bit behind the scenes. It's Gruel deck. It uses one of the new partner commanders from Commander 2016, and her name is Tana the Bloodsower. So Tana the Bloodsower costs two colorless, a red, and a green. So she's Gruel. She's a two-two with Trample. What a beast! And if that was if the rest of her box was blank, I would still play her because a 2-2 trample for 4 is excellent. Wait, Don't listen. Are you kidding. sure? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I know we love the jank here, but that's 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 a little too deep into that. Uh, yeah. So you're probably wondering why is she a 2-2 with trample? And that's because of the clause. She has an effect that says whenever a ton of blood sword deals combat damage to a player, you create that many 1-1 green saperling creature tokens. So, 
Tongue the Bloodsower is a go-wide Voltron commander, is the way that I like to describe her. You want to slap as many pieces of equipment you can onto her, run her across the board, hit the, your opponent in the face, and then create that many Saperling tokens. Oh, there's there's a really good one for this. Hold on, I have to look it up. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. Uh, I will let you know when I find it, uh, so continue on. So, the thing with Tana, if you have uh, Chiron Negotiations in play, is that it essentially gives her double strike, if you want to look at it that way. But it also stacks with double strike. So, if you make her a 2-2 with double strike, she uh, hits your opponent for four points of damage, which then creates you four... Saperling tokens, which then you can immediately tap with Chiron Negotiations because when you tap the creature for Chiron Negotiations effect, it's not, you're not paying a cost on the creature. Tapping the creature is a cost of the effect. Therefore, it is not affected by summoning sickness. Uh, force, force time effects are great. And I found that card. When I was looking at that piece of equipment that seems perfect for her is Penion Blade. From Rise of the Eldrazi, it's a three-cost equipment, and equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each creature you control with an equipped yeah. cost of four. That is pretty nasty. <laughs> so she just, she's a really neat commander, and the reason I picked up Chiron Negotiations was because of her. It was something that I had dipped into. And just with uh, Throne of the God Pharaoh, you throw that into the mix, and Quest for Renewal, all these sorts of effects, you can create a really nasty board presence that's relatively easy to reproduce if you come into contact with the board wipe. Tana herself is really easy to recast. Any sort of equipment that you have on the board is still going to be there, and you just equip her again, swing her again. And you're playing red-green, and it's really hard to get haste in red-green. Oh, with, like, absolutely. Fire- with fires of Yavimaya being around, and, you know, there's all sorts of ways So, anyways, that's uh, my first card, Chiron Negotiations. Do you have anything to add in? Yeah, guess what? Another good thing for it are the untapped creatures from Eventide Shadowmoor, mm-hmm. or the inspired creatures from Theros Block. Mm-hmm. Get a little Pelipala action up in here. Mm-hmm. So, any, any way where you, like... The most classic way to get your creature to tap is to send them into combat, but if you have your Gilder Baron, you don't want it to die. It's your friendly little 1-3 token double or counter doubler, and you don't want that to die by some monstrously huge blocker, so just have them ping something. It's mm-hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. It's excellent. I really, really like that combination. <laughs> right, and because it doesn't cost anything to tap the, the Gilder Baron, Mm-hmm. You can untap and double counters on something as much as you have mana to pay the untap cost. Yeah, if you're in the, if you, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty deep color commitment there, but it's a really neat combo if you can pull it off. Worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, the next card is the one that I had actually never seen before. Oh wow! This one, I, yeah, I, I, I did not play much during Origins. So I hadn't seen this card before, and this card is uh, Meteorite. It's in 265 decks. That's right. And keeping on with the theme of dealing some damage, let's get to it. Meteorite enters the battlefield. It deals two damage to target creature or player and taps to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. 
It is literally the mana boulder of mana rocks. <laughs> it costs five mana of any color. Too. Five, yeah, five five generic. Okay. So with meteorite, one of the best things about it is that it's an uncommon. Yes. <laughs> and it's a way for you to deal direct damage when you're not in red or sometimes black. Right. The other good thing about it is it's not a ramp card. It's mm-hmm. there to help uh, smooth out your mana fixing later in the game. It's there to deal some colorless damage. And I actually, it's I mean, one of the most important parts of the card is the fact that it does cost five mana. Because one of the decks you're going to want to put this in, it will be a, like a deck like Sidri, Galvanic Genius, or Karn, Silver Golem, or a deck that can run uh, March of the Machines, where it will turn it into a creature with power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost. So it turns your meteorite into a 5-5 beater, which is pretty slick. Yeah. I think that... So... This is a great card. And there is... When I first started playing Commander, one of the things that you really wanted to find was ways to deal colorless damage. And the way that we were doing it originally was with a card from Fallen Empires called Aeola Pile. Oh, that's, that's, that's sad. It's such a great pick. It costs two colorless, and it's an artifact, and for one mana, you can tap it and sacrifice it to deal two damage to a creature player. So, I mean, if you have an artifact recursion, it's a cute little way to deal some damage, but mostly it just sucks. (laughs) Yes, I mean, unless you're running Arbyoc Salvagers, which lets you get back an artifact with mana cost one or less from your graveyard and put it in your hand, but it's a lot of mana. Yeah. And Alien Pile costs two anyways, so... Oh, I thought it cost one to cast. No, no it's one, one to one activate. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I tried. I tried. Yeah, it's all right. It's, it's bad. Yeah, it's it's not... It, it looks cool. It's like potion that's exploding. Anyways, <laughs> back to your card. I mean, absolutely. Meteorite doesn't see... Only only he's plays in 600... Uh, 265 decks, 600 decks. It's, it jumps. It's great. No, 265 decks, probably because it is viewed as a bad mana rock, whereas it fills a niche later on, is more in the big mana style deck, where you want to have stuff later. You're going to ramp up to your 4 and 5, a slap down a meteorite. Oh my god, guess what? It kills Deathrite Shaman. That alone mm-hmm. right there. If you drop, dropping a meteorite on a Deathrite Shaman feels really good. Or a Noble Hierarch, mm-hmm. or a Birds of Paradise... Or <laughs> or uh, Hepetra, the new green-black commander from Alonket. Snake Cleopatra, she's great. Yeah, I, I really like this card, and I think that it is vastly underrated. And I'm guessing that it's relatively inexpensive being an uncommon from a recent set. Yeah. So pick up Meteorite, especially if you're somebody who runs like Brea or uh, Eldrazi deck of any sorts, or any sort of big artifact ramp, Karn, that sort of thing. Those kind of decks are going to absolutely love this card. Indeed. If it only had cycling. <laughs> oh, God. If it had cycling, it would be awesome and possibly broken. No, not broken, but still really good. Yes. And the artifact has a fantastic art. Yeah. Like, a picture is fantastic. And it makes me just kind of want to pre- like pretend like it's a chaos orb mm-hmm. and drop it on whatever I'm dealing damage to. D- don't, if it, don't drop it on your friends if you're dealing damage to a player. So. <laughs> You don't want you don't want to cause an, an an altercation or anything like this. Always get consent. Yeah. But I mean, if they've got Amon's Goblin Raiders in play, 
and you want to meteorite the heck out of it, you can do that. Oh yeah, definitely drop it on a creature. Don't gambit whip it at your friends. That's no, no, no. Don't do that. <laughs> we we promote safe gameplay here on uh, Corner Case. Well, at least one of us does. <laughs> so the next card that we've got, which is in in abysmal twenty eight decks, twenty eight decks, Russell. Yeah. And I think the problem, I think that people are scared of this card more than anything. But as a, a black aficionado in Magic the Gathering, this is the most black card <laughs> that I think has ever been printed. And it's called Scandalmonger. It costs three colorless. It's a creature from Mercadian Masks, an uncommon boar monger. And his ability is Two colorless or two generic mana. Target player discards a card. Sounds that's, good. It's pretty good. But I don't I don't know why anybody I don't know anybody would want to not play this card. Well, unfortunately it was part of a cycle, the monger cycle from Randy Cast, which means it has some extra text. Oh, that's right. It says target player discards a card. Any player might activate this ability, but only any time they could cast a sorcery. So this guy sits on the board. And makes everybody hate each other. Yes. Except for you, because you know what to expect. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, my hand never has cards in it anyways. Let's oh, be honest. That, that's the, that is the safest way to be about it. However, you're yeah. also in black, which yeah. is basically saying, hey, guys, my <laughs> friends, target me with my discard. Let me drop this humongous fatty into the yard where I may bring it back as a zombie glorious to smite you with. And let's be honest, <laughs> the only real expensive cards I own are black cards, so you know that I got a Yagma. <laughs> Yagma <laughs> will. You, you know it's in there. Oh, of course. This, this is in my mono black deck, 100%, because this is going to feed my graveyard every single turn, and the great thing about it is since it has the sorcery clause that's on every single discard card, except for GD Funeral Charm, which they should never... <laughs> Why did they time shift that? Because they're brilliant and I love them. <laughs> Other than Funeral Charm, it has this clause where it says you can only do it when you cast sorcery. So there's no way for you to draw a card and then immediately discard it. You're always going to have your draw that turn. And if you have some other janky ways to draw cards during your upkeep or during your draw step that Black never has access to, I mean, Fire FC Arena, you know. <laughs> You're safe on your turn. Huh. Yeah, yeah, You're, it's it's crazy. So you you put the scandalmonger into play, and then just you're the first person with an opportunity to activate it as well. So what I like to do is the first time that it enters the board, I like to sit on it and not do it a single time. And I think it sends a message. It's more of a deterrent than anything else. It's saying the first person that pulls the trigger on this is gonna just nuke the whole world and everyone is going to die. So don't be that guy. <laughs> no, definitely. <laughs> Combos well some nice cards too, actually. It does combo really well. And as I said uh, before, <laughs> I am an Orzov player, second to a mono black player. And a really good Orzov combo is our friend of the Scandalmonger and this other wonderful card from Mercanian Masks called Spiritual Focus. Do you, are you familiar with this card? Russell? I am not. I have to look that one up. Spiritual Focus is an enchantment. It costs one colorless and one white mana. 
and it is a rare, and it says whenever a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard a card, you gain two life and may draw a card. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good, because they are controlling the ability. They do control the ability. That's pretty good. So it it makes it so if they really, really want to make you discard, it's essessentially letting you loot and gain two life. That's That's pretty awesome. <laughs> My go-to combination with this is going to be Gre- Geth's Grimoire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. whenever an opponent discards a card from uh, their hand, you may draw a card. Mm. It puts so, an extra edge on opponents using against each other. Yes. what I, I have played this before, and what I have learned is that everybody just only uses it on you, and they never use it against anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> seems fair. Seems fair. So if you really never want to draw a card and you want to make everybody waste their mana, I think Geth's Grimoire is a pretty good combo <laughs> for you. But in my personal experience, but I mean, that's generally how this game ends up going anyways, is that I will put something on the board that everybody's like, oh no! And then I don't have any plan to use it because you know how I play. I want everybody to, I want everybody to have a chance to do their thing. I just want to be able to stop it after I see what I'm trying to do. And uh, Scandalmonger really plays into that. <laughs> but it kind of puts the, hands, it's puts the disruption in the uh, other player's hands. And he has a body attached to him. I think he's a 3-3, so he doesn't die too easy to anything. And he's a monger. Monger. A boar monger. A boar monger. The art on this card is fantastic. He looks like he wants to sell you some deli meats. <laughs> <laughs> or it, it, it could also be that Pumbaa has gone rogue. Uh, <laughs> oh my. Is this selling out Simba? <laughs> yes. Yes, that's the the man in the background is actually Timon. He's gone through some tough times. Oh wow, that is pretty rough. Huh. Apparently there are 31 boars in Magic. Well, obviously if you need if you're going to create a boar tribal deck, the black boar, which I'm assuming there's tons of Scandalmonger would be your first choice, right? Uh, I, it appears to be only choice. <laughs> My mono black. I'm boy. sorry. I can't forget about the classic Zodiac pig. Oh, yes. yes. That's a good one, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah, so Scandalmonger is your first choice, then Zodiac pig, and then <laughs> nobody else. <laughs> I mean, that's two cards. It's that's two enough cards. to hold the EDH deck around, right? I mean, as far as our show is concerned, yes. Yes, it is. But what if you just wanted to build a deck around one card? Would you choose this next one that you're going to talk about? I would choose it as an engine or a, a facilitator of gifts. Oh, gifts as in gift like. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I don't want to have the pronunciation war with you today. Uh, uh, I, refuse, <laughs> I refuse to call it GIF because GIF is a peanut butter and it's not Giraffics. That's all I'm going to say. And we can be on separate sides of the fence if you want to be. It's okay. <laughs> no, I've just I've just moved on to better image formats. That's perfectly fine too. Speaking of <laughs> moving on, let's go on to Dreamscape Artist. And I, I think you cheated on this one because this one is in literally more decks than all of my cards put together this week. To be fair, I apparently my theme was going for was mana, alternate mana sources than your classic rocks and stuff. So. Apparently, people have gleaned onto alternate mana sources are a good thing. So, yeah, 572 decks, but still in that range we're shooting for. 
a abysmally low number considered compared to the tens of thousands of decks that are on EDH rec currently. Yeah. Um, and why don't you describe a dreamscape artist for us? So it is a, for a generic and a blue, you get a creature, human spell shaper, one, one from planar chaos. It's a common, not bad. Would prefer to be a wizard, but spell shapers are their own thing. And that's cool because they all have an ability that lets you turn cards in your hand into other spells. This one, a mono blue card, mind you, turns your turns your discarded card into a harrow. So two and a blue, tap, discard a card, and sacrifice a land. Search your library for up to two basic land cards and put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. That is straight up ramp in mono blue. It's excellent. It is excellent, which is why it's in 572 decks, because those people are intelligent. <laughs> but why it's on here is not just because it's blue harrow. Because it's got an abysmally tiny body, it dies to everything. Common cold, wrath effects, goblin pingers, everything. However, if you protect it, or you don't use it very sparingly, that discard a card is very important. Like we were talking with the Scandalmonger, what Mm -hmm. it does is it lets you fuel other shenanigans. So you put this in your black and blue, uh, I'll say Gisa and Geralt deck. You want to just dump some stuff into your graveyard and reanimate it later. You want mm-hmm. to just get, oh gosh, say you are running hack on the night guy from Cold Snap. He can mm-hmm. only be cast from your graveyard, so pitch him from your hand, go and send him to the graveyard. Squee, goblin to Bob. <laughs> it's the it's literally endless. You can do anything to get some hair effects, and it ramps you. Mm-hmm. Granted, and it works. Granted, again, your opponents are going to be smart to kill it as soon as they Yeah, can. yeah. Well, I mean, it's not... It's got a, the tiniest body ever, too. So it, it's probably going to die. If this thing gets around the table more than once, and people are going to see it and be, they see you be like, oh, he just pulled two lands out of his deck and put one in his graveyard. That's never a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Anytime that you can have multiple instances of tutoring and searching your own deck, particularly to place things directly into play is ridiculous. And his ability to turn any card into to land is is amazing. And he combos really well with Crucible of Worlds. Oh, yes. yes I mean, everything, everything, everything combos, combos with Crucible of Worlds, Crucible. yes. But, um, or you can always go for the poor man's Crucible of Worlds, which uh, is a card from Shadows of Innistrad called Groundskeeper. Oh. It costs uh, one green. It's a human druid, and for a green and a color, so you can return a basic land card from your graveyard to your hand. So it allows you to get that same land back and play it again the next turn. At that point, you might as well just be playing actual hero. But you know, <laughs> you're, you're we're, we're poor here. We can't afford things like cultivate and uh, and Kodama's Reach. But we yeah, but I mean, a, a repeatable version of the spell is even better. Than oh, definitely. That. I mean, you can always, you know, break out the Dranyard Temple, too, also from Shadows of Innistrad. Because, you know, you got the extra mana, you can return it from the graveyard to your, uh, the battlefield tapped. Ugh, beautiful card. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dreamscape Artist, I think it, it gets like a 10 out of 10 for me. Because I think that any blue deck, uh, particularly mono blue, really be running this. You're going to have a ton of islands in your deck anyways. Right, and then you I, don't just die to uh, Shatterstorm or... Vandal Blast. It's like, oh, I had rocks. Now I have these six islands. I'm going to go cry and hopefully generate <laughs> some more islands with my salty, salty tears. 
Yeah, I mean, they don't say if they're freshwater islands or not. No, no. Uh, <laughs> so, with Dreamscape Artist being able to thin your deck out like this, I mean, most of the time when you talk about thinning out your deck in EDH, it really doesn't do much impact, right? Like, including a fetch lane in a monocolored deck is not going to affect your deck at all. Inagligible, yes. However, yeah. being able to do it repeatedly two cards at a time is incredibly effective. Right. And I would normally do the math on that in my head, but I'm feeling really busy tonight. So. That's fine. And trust can, me. And we can make it even harder, too. Let's throw some uh, illusions bracers on them, too. Let's get uh, four <laughs> lands for the cost of that card. Why not? Oh, and they right? come into play untapped. Sure. Let's get more mana than we spent. Sounds fun. It's just... it's. <laughs> it, so, and if you have anything like High Tide, he works really well with High Tide. Oh, yeah. Fetching up some extra uh, mana that way. There's just all sorts of neat stuff that you can do with this guy. But I really think that if you're running mono blue, this has to be in your deck. I fully agree. I mean, unless you're going a completely creature light route that needs yeah. to be select, or if you're like, I want to try to say what's Talran. If you're running a Talran deck, you, you might not want this in Talran. Yeah. But and any other non-instant sorcery based build, definitely give it a shot. Yeah, I think this is really great. So, the next card is one that you probably should run in some creature light decks, I would think. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Sounds like a, <laughs> sounds like a great idea. It's, so, uh, this, this is a classic Smokestacks card that is only seen in 97 decks on EDH Rec. And artifacts are my favorite card type. And I like every time I just want to put four, three artifacts on, on the list every episode, but I don't think that the people that listen to this would really appreciate that all too much. So I'm trying to limit myself to one artifact. So this time I went with Damping Engine, which is a rare from Urza's Legacy. A uh, little known fact, Urza's Legacy is the first set that used color to denote what rarity a card was. Before then, you had to look it up. It was actually uh, Exodus. Was it Exodus? Yep, it was Exodus because it's the only set in the Wrath Cycle Tempest, Stronghold, You're right. Exodus that has the symbols on it. It was just super Bird weird. Legacy was the first set with foils. That is correct. That's the... Alright, there's your magic tidbit of the day. Two of Grandpa them. Joe! One. Grandpa Joe forgets things sometimes. Okay. I'm not apologizing, I'm just stating a fact. So, Damnation costs four generic mana. It's an artifact from Urza's Legacy, the first set with foils, and it's a rare. <laughs> And it states, a player who controls more permanence than each other player can't plants or cast artifact creature or enchantment spells. That player may sacrifice a permanent for that player to ignore this effect until the end of the turn. So it's a classic smokestacks effect where it limits the amount of permanents that are going to be on the board at any one time. But it only does it to the player that has the most amount of stuff on the board. It's very egalitarian that way. It is very egalitarian that way, and this is, I mean, it's, this card has my name written all over it. It has no immediate effect on the board, it makes everybody make decisions that they would rather not, and it generally draws a lot of groans. So you know that I'm just gonna revel in this thing. <laughs> oh, definitely. And like I said, and it's much more fair than some other version of this card, like Ward of Bones. Which... Or, yeah, <laughs> or Smokestack. Right. The, Progenitor of the genre of card. So, one of the great things about Damping Engine, and it's the argument that I make with pretty much every artifact, is that it can go into any deck. 
And I think that the kind of deck that this is going to work best in is one that focuses on not having a lot of permanence in play. So you don't have to worry about this actually affecting you. I think it's kind of a fire and forget card that you would include in something like a Mizzix deck, maybe? Or some sort of group hug pillow fort deck where, where you put it in as a slow tax. What the, what the problem with this card is though, is that if you run into something that's just mass producing tokens, it's gonna, that deck is gonna have, that player's gonna have the most amount of permanence in play and they're not gonna care that much about sacrificing one thing to ignore this effect, right? Right. So while it has a powerful ability, and in most situations, it's going to be incredibly detrimental to whoever is in the lead in the game. Some players are just going to be able to ignore it. And that's one of the main drawbacks of putting this card into a deck. But I don't think that situation comes up as nearly as often as you think it will. And if you're running a deck that doesn't really concern itself with having a lot of stuff on the board that gives you the liberty to have a lot of board wipes. Oh, so, yeah. That's a big freedom is being able to run board wipes. Whatever mm-hmm. you want. And I think the damping engine, it's just one of those really neat little tax cards that you can put into play and makes people make interesting choices. Yeah, and I don't think it draws as much ire as some other tax cards like Stacks or even uh, Ristic Study. Yeah, Ristic Study or Mystic Remora. Yeah. Um, those kind of cards are, they have such a huge impact on the board and. I just generally don't like including them because they get blown up right away, right? Like, if you put a Consecrated Sphinx into play, somebody's going to kill it. Yeah. Or if you play Mystic Remora or Ristic Study, those things are the first things to get blown up if, the first, if somebody has an opportunity to do that. But with Damping Engine, this card's going to have an effect on the board at least a couple times. Mm-hmm. I like to think of the other cards, though, as uh, Removal Removal. Because mm-hmm. it draws the removal right away, and then it's one less thing to worry about for other stuff. But you could look at Damping Engine the same way, because if somebody actually uses a removal on this, I think that's an upside. <laughs> oh, that's, that's all upside. <laughs> yeah. So, I just, I really like this card, particularly in Stacks deck. Uh, there's a Teferi, the Mono Blue Teferi Planeswalker. Oh, yeah. Deck that I ran for a little while that had Damping Engine in it. And it really, really shines, especially if you have stuff with a lot of bounce. Uh, generally, this it's really good in stuff with board wipes or the ability to control what kind of permanents are on the board. This just gives you an extra avenue to do that, and it does it passively. And it's in if worse comes to worse, you if you're the person who's in the lead with the amount of permanents, you can just sack damping engine to itself. Oh yeah, that it does say you can. Oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, and I absolutely love the art on this. It's RK Post who is amazing. He's one of my favorite artists from Magic. And this is, I think, his prime era. Uh, is during like the Urza's Saga and Mercadian Mask stuff. Like Most of the good art in those sets is done by him, in my humble opinion, not to uh, belittle anybody else, but yeah. I just love so. I just like that he still does stuff, and it's all super sweet. Yeah. But yeah. So the last card on our list today is actually... Library of Alexandria. <laughs> It's in zero decks because it's banned, right? Yes. Okay, so actually, it's the next best thing, Magus of the Library. Mm-hmm, 260 mm-hmm. decks for a uh, 
one one human wizard for uh, two green mana. So green green. Planar chaos is rare as part of the magic cycle. Planar chaos they're all based on rares like magic of the coffer, magic of some other lands. The bazaar is it is literally just out library of Alexandria. You tap it out of colors to your mana pool. Or tap to draw a card and activate its ability only if you have exactly seven cards in hand. Which mm-hmm. seems like a really big restriction, but in green, especially if you couple it with blue, you are going to have seven cards in your hand if you're playing it where I am. Then you literally have a library of Alexandria that you can get great value out of because it's a creature. It can attack, it can... Where Illusionist Bracers is one of my favorite Kodu cards for end creature with an activated ability, because two cards is better than one. <laughs> Most of the time. 90% of the time. Unless somebody's <laughs> playing Nekusar and they're a jerk. <laughs> um, so, I really like Magus of the Library. I like wizards. There's not a lot of wizards in green, there, so yeah. I think it's really cool that this is a green wizard. Um, I'm surprised it's not a druid, but it's a great mana dork just by itself, right? Oh, yeah. It doesn't have the making colors that a lot of the green ones do because it is a, a functional a library of Alexandria. It has to produce colorless, which is a drawback, but you, again, you have that flexibility there. I'm glad that's a wizard and not a druid because it keeps the sanctity of the magic cycle in order, and plus you have that gorgeous Wayne Reynolds artwork and that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. desiccated sort of library. You don't get a lot of books in green either. No, very few wizards, very few books in art, but when you get them, they're really cool. Yeah. I think that this is really neat. And, I mean, there's there's a couple ways that you can combo with this, too. There's a card from Time Spiral. It's an uncommon called Scrib Ranger. Mm-hmm. Costs a colorless and a green. It's a fairy. It has flash, flying, and a protection from blue. And it says, return to forest, you control to its owner's hand, and untap target creature. So you can only do it once each turn. But it allows you to go from six cards to seven cards, and then draw off of the... The, the Magus. Magus again. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. The, the one we're talking about. Exactly. So, it's a really good draw engine, which green doesn't have unless you're willing to sacrifice a creature most of the time. Mm-hmm. Or get some damage in with uh, creatures attacking. Yeah. yeah. Green has some really weird uh, draw conditions. It's tertiary in the card draw mm-hmm. uh, colors, but it's definitely way more conditional than blue and black. Black just wants mm-hmm. your blood, and blue will just do it for <laughs> looking funny. <Man>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'll pay a little blood most of the time. Yeah. But with this one, it's basically a free draw if you're able to keep your hand stacked. And with the amount of bounce that you can get in blue, I think that pairing this in uh, blue decks is a really, really excellent choice. Yeah, it's it's pretty nice. I think uh, nice. I have it in. Uh, I'm trying to think what I had to have it. I might have it in my Rushmi deck, mm-hmm. uh, which is another deck I'll be bringing on Saturday for for the fun of it, and. It's it plays really nicely uh, because Rush me likes to cascade into stuff, so mm-hmm. getting a lot of value out of things is it will be nice because you're not playing a lot of cards out of hand, so keeping a grip of seven is not terribly hard. Yeah, and I mean you can pair it with stuff like Mentor of the Week, Mentor of the Meek, 
yeah. or other sorts of ways to draw cards. There's all sorts of stuff that you can do to make sure that your hand is pretty stacked. And as long as you can keep this guy safe and you don't use him too much, because you don't want to be like, hey, everybody, I'm Magusing of the library again because I need eight cards in my hand. If you're not being braggadocious about it, I think that you can really, really deliver with this. So be subtle with it. Don't overstep the boundaries with it. Uh, otherwise, somebody's going to just ping it for one. It's going to die. Right. But if you can get two draws off of this, you're golden. It's paid for itself twice over. Yeah. And man, don't be afraid to tap it for that extra colors to get you a, get you ahead of turn or two yeah. if you need to. It's it's very versatile. It holds in a lot of places. Say what you will about Birds of Paradise, which sees played a lot more decks. Uh, <laughs> Birds of Paradise will never draw you a card on its own. <laughs> Unless you're playing Coastal Piracy. I get on its own. You need a Coastal Piracy, and then you need to give it uh, power. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> that's my approach to that, uh, That's fair. Argument. That's fair. Just, Russell, no. Just no. Your facts mean nothing here. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a pro-truth society. Uh, oh. All right. So those are our cards for the week, or for this episode, not the week, because I already went over that. Yes. But what are your plans for – what are you What are you going to be working on this week, Russell? Actually going to be working on a couple a couple decks. I have one where I have uh, another shoe Yoon build. I have a idea, one for a straight-up $20 budget, straight-up regular Voltron shoe Yoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. kind of boring. So, yeah, $20 think... budget that works is boring to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I was thinking, huh, I wonder if there are enough cool monks to do Shu Yun Monk, like, Kung Fu Monastery Tribal. That would be pretty neat. And so I'm working on that. Uh, I, I'm sure that you have some appropriate card slaves for that. I will find some, <laughs> uh, one way or another. And we need to get some Krillin Dragon Ball. <laughs> yes, that we've. <laughs> That would be just like, I, I'll have to look for some of those. And the other one is an Orem Samite Healer damage reduction manipulation sort of deck. Not just preventing it, but also maybe sometimes redirecting it or turning it into life and other fun things like that. That can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Seems cool. <laughs> and I think like six people in the world play Orem. Yeah. So you'd be joining a very elite club. A very elite club of people <laughs> who know where the fun is at. Exactly. <laughs> Healing Sal for the win. I think it's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> so this week I'm still I'm, I'm starting to piece together my Orzov deck, which is going to be that Ravos and Timba deck, and then uh, this Tano the Bloodsower. It like she's got partner, but I don't know if I want to partner her with anything. You should even if for alone for the just the color companionship, also. If you haven't looked at it for that deck, uh, I highly recommend Mage Slayer. All right, I'll check it out. Or what's it? It's on Mage Slayer. Mage Slayer. Is that an equipment? It is. Yeah, I think I remember. It is for one red and green. Uh, whenever a quick creature attacks, it deals damage to equal to its power to defending player. Equip three, so it 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 bypasses her need for trample because she just directly damages whoever she's attacking. Yeah, that's that's pretty brutal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we have blockers. I don't care. I want all all of the sapperlings. Yeah, well, for that deck so far, I I have three of the swords, the ones from the Scars block, and I've got uh, like um, the 
Voltron swords of Cauldra, like the, okay, the, the shield and the helmet and the sword, and uh, a uh, Loxodon Warhammer. So I, I was going to look at maybe adding adding in white somehow, but I already have a Kiri in one of my decks, and I don't want to use her again. So my other choices are like Bruce Tarl. Oh, who Bruce Tarl would be really good. And that may give her double strike. Yeah, but I mean, I kind of have a crush on him, so I don't know if I would be able to pay attention to the game. I would just mostly want to look at his like bristling pecs and that sweet ox that he has in the background. So <laughs> I mean, it's more reason to get him into play and out of, out of the uh, command zone, so he can do his stuff. Right. I mean, just look at that mustache. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Russell. It was great episode. Indeed. Great episode. Thank you very much for recording with me. And uh, to all of our six viewers out there, our six listeners out there, thank you so much for sticking with us. If you have any suggestions for us, feel free to contact us on our social media. Russell, where can they find you? You can find me at Rogue Artificer. You can find the show at Command. No, we're not Command. We're not Command anything. We're Corner Case Cast. Yes. All one word. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can email us at, if you want to call us command something, cornercasecast at gmail.com. Yes, all of those things are true. And you can find me on the Twitters at Joe Oso. That's J-O-H-O-S-O. Every other letter is an O. It's magical. That's a lot of O's. It is. It's half my name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to buy a vowel. And I only need one. Yeah. Man, when I'm famous and they're trying to show me up on Wheel of Fortune, it's going to be way too easy. It's super easy. Shame. All right, (laughs) Thanks for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. Indeed. All right. Good night. Good night. 